If you have a Bible, would you grab that? Ephesians 2 is where we're going to be. So Ephesians chapter 2, while you're turning there, a couple things I want you to be aware of. Uh, If you've not been with us in the fall, we've been in a series in the book of James. Uh, We took the weeks of Advent off, and we're going to take this week and next week off, but on the 17th, we'll jump back into James. Pastor Curtis uh, will be preaching a lot of that series. Several uh, of our other pastors will also teach in that series. So one of the things I want to challenge you with, you got really uh, two weeks, is to read through James in one setting a few times. It maybe takes 40, 45 minutes or so uh, to read at a decent pace. It's not a very long book, maybe not even that long, actually. And so I'd encourage you to read through that a couple times. Pray over what you're uh, reading in James, and we're going to study it and dive in together on the 17th. Second thing is, next week is the 10th. Uh, Pastor Curtis will be here. And I'm, I'm terrible. With, don't ever tell me something that's supposed to be a surprise. I'll tell people about it. Like, I'm terrible with surprises. So I promise them I'm not going uh, uh, to do that publicly, but it's going to be a fun week. I want you to be here next week. Invite a friend. If you've ever had a friend that you just thought, Maybe at the beginning of the new year, they might come to church with me. If I just said, hey, what do you think about just trying this church out? Next week is the time. We're going to try to set out more chairs, and I would love for you to invite somebody next week. I'm excited about what Pastor Curtis uh, is going to bring to us. So Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 11, verse 11 through 18. And here's what I'd like you to do if you're okay with this. If there's somebody close to you that has a Bible, would you kind of huddle up with them and read chapter 2, verse 11 through 18, just out loud for your group. We're not going to read it out loud at the same time, so just have whatever pace you choose. It'll also be on the screens if you don't have a Bible. Uh, By the way, we have Bibles in the lobby. If you ever want one of those, sneak out of there and grab it. It's yours as a gift from us. So here's what I'd like you to do. Verse 11 through 18, chapter 2 in Ephesians. Would you guys read that as a group or read it on the screen, and then we'll come back together. One more slide, there we go. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, let me read the first part out loud. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray together. God, speak to us through uh, these words. May we not see this as a history book, although there's beautiful history in it. 
Uh, it's a book that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you speak through these words. May they jump off the pages. May we be changed. May we literally leave today having seen and experienced you and the power of salvation in Jesus fully. And we pray that together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, I went to the Texans playoff game. Now, the Texans have not had a lot of playoff games, and I am fully aware that the Texans play in a few minutes to potentially clinch a playoff game. So I see you watching your, your watches right there. Uh, so I, I went to the Texans playoff game. It was the Texans versus the Bengals. And there was a rookie on our defense named J.J. Watt. And we thought, you know, this guy is pretty good. He wasn't J.J. Watt good at the time, but he was, we, we knew that he was, he was pretty good. And so I go to this game. Of course, we pay way too much money for the ticket, and you pay way too much money for the parking. And then you, you buy, like, you know, $25 nachos that are terrible. But somehow we love it. I don't know, I don't know how they have tricked us into loving this. And so we go to the playoff game, and I don't know about you, but when I go to a stadium like that, I'm always very strategic about when to leave my seat. Uh, one, I don't like to like, I don't like to interrupt everybody on my row. You know, I'm a people pleaser, so I'm like, I don't like people always constantly coming. I'm very strategic about that. And then two, I don't want to wait in line for anything when I paid 80 bucks for a ticket, but especially the restroom. You know what I mean? <laughs> So you have to be very strategic about when you go. Otherwise, you're just going at halftime when everybody else is waiting in line. You guys with me on this? You, 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 you're, you're smart enough, people. So I'm thinking that the Bengals have the ball, and they're, they're on their own 10-yard line, and there's a minute and a half left in the half. So it's almost halftime, and there's really not a lot going to happen. Most likely a punt, then we'll kneel it down, right? I mean, this is just what typically happens, and so I think this is a pretty good time because a lot of people are still in their seats. So I head uh, to um, the, the restroom, and so I, I, I get up there, and as I'm entering, uh, I'm not fully in yet, and I, as I'm entering, we can hear the play-by-play on the radio. You know what I'm talking about? So all of a sudden, you've seen it, then you go to up there, and then you can hear what's happening and I hear that he drops, you know, drops back and looks to pass, and then the, pl- the building shook. I-, I kid you not. Have you experienced that? Some of you Aggies, you've felt Kyle Field, like, shaking, <laughs> right? And so I'm, I'm thinking, like, earth, either earthquake or I just missed the, the best play ever in football. And what happened is this young rookie, right, this J.J. This Watt kid who we kind of, kind of knew of at the time, jumped up to block a pass. But he's so good that the ball just stuck to his hands, right? <laughs> and instead of blocking the ball, he catches the ball, literally like me to Krista, not even. I mean, it's that close. He catches the ball, and then he runs back for a touchdown. Now, I paid 80 bucks for this seat, and <laughs> I just missed the best play of the game. But here's, here's what I want to tell you. As I'm entering the restroom, keep in mind, I'm not fully in there yet, okay? Let me just be clear. But what happens is the play of the game happens, and even though I didn't see it, all of a sudden, strangers, uh, all men, obviously, (laughs) uh, African-American men, Latino men, Caucasian men, old and young and fanatics, the face paint guys, down to like you just kind of wore whatever because maybe you've got a free ticket. Everybody, wherever you are on the scale, starts to go nuts, even in the bathroom, all right? (laughs) And uh, I don't know about you, but this is the, uh, the last place I want a high five, you know? Uh, 
And yet, here are these grown men. Here, here are these grown men who are high-fiving and hugging because in that moment, it was very clearly we were one, right? We were united. We were, it was us versus them. And we had succeeded, and uh, it was a very odd encounter. I hope that never happens to me again in the restroom. We're good at this, though. So obviously, a sporting event, you, it, it's, one, it's one team versus another, but we do this in life pretty easily, especially in this country. We love the us versus them. And it doesn't take long if you follow politics at all. Very, very quickly, we go us and we go them. It's not even just politics. It's like, what, what news channel do you watch? I mean, that, that, it's us versus them. It's CNN says this and Fox says this. And it's religion, right? Even within, even within you know, God-fearing Christian churches, denominations, we go, man, it's us versus them. And Presbyterians are crazy. Now, Baptists are, are boring. You know, that, both of those are true. No, they're not true. Uh, <laughs> But we, we very quickly go us, us versus them. And this happens in society uh, very quickly, uh, even when it comes down to, you know, uh, my favorite meal, uh, Tex-Mex, right? Some of you, you're Papacitos people, right? And you're pretty proud of it. Some of you are Lupe Tortilla. Some of you are gringos. You love that gringo. I just want to say publicly, I love them all, all right? It's no us versus them. In this passage in Ephesians 2, Paul points out in that day, the very obvious us versus them. And so when you, when you read that first verse, some of it is a little strange, just to be honest. There's a lot of circum, circumcision talk, and you're like, I don't even, let's, can we skip over that? What is going on? What Paul is, is, is spelling out for us here is that the us in that day were the chosen people. They had been set aside. God had drawn them near. God had called them out. God had said, I will bless you. You are to be messengers of mine. Very clearly an us team. That was the Jewish people. And what Paul is saying, uh, circumcision was a mark of, of being a part of that community. And so Paul is saying the uncircumcised, that would be the Gentiles. Now, if God's presence and blessing was on you know, this rug, this little magic carpet rug up here, right? The Jewish people would be on this rug. The Gentiles would be clearly off of this stage. They would be distant. They would be, as Paul puts it, far off. They did not have the blessing of God. They were not the chosen people. This was the most obvious uh, us versus them by a long shot in that day. And that's why he starts this portion of chapter 2. Uh, by spelling this out for us. Uh, Verse 11 uh, begins that. Verse 12, Paul begins to just say very clearly, in case we're not clear, this is the state of the Gentiles. Again, the Gentiles were far off. So in case I'm not making my point here, Paul is saying, here's who the Gentiles are. He does five things. We'll just run through them quickly. He says in verse 12, they're apart from Christ. Secondly, he says, you, they're alienated from Israel. You are not a part of the chosen people. You are alienated from Israel. Number three, you're strangers to God's promise and covenant. Number four, and he just puts it very bluntly, you have no hope. You're hopeless. Not only are you far from God, you're, you're, you're a hopeless people. Number five, you're without God in this world. And so if the passage stops there, this is a bleak, this is a this is a terrifying passage if you are not part of the Jewish people. 
And yet verse 13, which is really, if there's a verse to circle and underline and highlight or whatever it is you do in your Bible, this is the verse because this passage begins, it hinges on verse 13. Let me read that out loud. It says, but now, so after all of this, you Gentiles, you're hopeless, you're apart from Christ, you're alienated. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so if I have a sermon for you today, I got a few more things I want to say. But if there's something I wanted you just to remember and hold fast to, and I pray that it marks our year and years together as a church, that we were like Gentiles, far off from God, and yet God says, but because of the blood of Christ Jesus, you and I and the Gentile people and all who might hear the good news of Jesus, you are brought near. And let me just pause and say, if you're here this morning and maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't come to church a lot, maybe you do. Uh, maybe you're here because you thought it's a new year, I should try to at least do something of spiritual value, but I'm not positive the way that I live and the things that I've done. I'm not positive God really hears me, sees me, and could love me. There is no better passage for you to read this morning than to say all the alienation in the world that you've felt. It's the blood of Christ Jesus that God very clearly says you are brought near. Verse 14, Paul continues, and he doesn't just use uh, an analogy, although it is an analogy. He doesn't just give us a word picture, although I think it's a pretty good one. He begins to talk of the wall of hostility. And so let me read this, and then I want to explain what Paul's saying here. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Are you catching that? So one new man. Who are the two? Well, it's the Jewish people and the Gentile people. What Paul's saying is all of that is done away with. All of the division, the wall that divides, that so uh, clearly divided people in that day, that is torn down through the blood of Christ Jesus. There was a dividing wall of hostility, as he puts it. And that's torn down. Verse, uh, where did I leave off? Uh, 15, uh, 16, I'm sorry. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. We'll finish with verse 18 in a second. Let me explain what Paul's doing here. And I didn't know a lot about this. I kind of knew the reference somewhat. But what Paul is saying is, uh, in that day, there was a temple, and I brought, there's a, a graphic here to show you, and I know it's hard to read, but at least gives you an idea of when they came to worship, when the people would gather to worship, uh, there were certain areas that you were allowed to go and certain areas that you were not allowed to go, and that was very specific to you being a Jew or a Gentile, and then also if you were a man or a woman, and then also if you were uh, a high priest in that day. And so, I know, again, I know you can't read it, but the outer court is called the court of the Gentiles. And so you would pass through the gates, but you would only get so far, and then there would be a wall that divided. And if you were a Gentile, you were not prohibited to go there. In fact, about 150 years ago, they were digging around this site, and they found a tablet that says, uh, basically, you can look this up, really fascinating, a couple of videos I found that were really cool. 
But it basically says, if you are a Gentile and you pass beyond this wall, death will be uh, imminent. So uh, about 1870, I think, they find these. So this dividing wall not only was just symbolic, it was you will die if you choose to step beyond this wall. Inside that wall, you would have Jewish men. That's where they would gather for worship. I'm sorry, Jewish women. And so if you were a woman, you were separated from the men and you were one step further. There was another dividing wall. The Jewish men would then gather, another dividing wall, and the priest would gather. And so what you had is a temple that was divided uh, many times over. And so when Paul says there's a dividing wall of hostility, hostility was not just a word that he threw in there. Literally, death would come to you if you chose to disobey that. And so when you think about our times, you go, okay, that's, that's, we clearly don't do that here, right? Um, in fact, we, we changed the sign this week, you know, you, the little sign that you see out here. And I, I thought there was more space than there was, but I wanted to put on there all are welcome because that's absolutely true here. Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how much money you have or don't have, what uh, background, fam- none of that. You're welcome here. So clearly we don't live in this day. But when I was thinking about our our country and the time that we live in, it really wasn't that long ago. I was with some friends recently in Washington, D.C. That, um, who are much older and who lived through the civil rights era. They began to tell stories, and several of these men, these just godly, God-fearing men, marched peacefully in Birmingham and in Selma. They began to tell some of the stories, and you just go, that's, that's a, part of my, it's a part of my history. That little girls on the way to Sunday school killed, you know. That's not ancient days, right? That there was dividing walls where we'd say, you, you can eat here and you can shop here and these water fountains are for you and these water fountains are for you. This dividing wall of hostility really isn't that distant for us. I uh, was born in East Texas in 1976, so if you're doing the math, I'm still in my 30s, all right? I got one year in my 30s, so I'm holding on, uh, I was born in in Atlanta, Texas, uh, which is near uh, Texarkana. So, like, nobody's ever heard of it. You say Atlanta, they're like, oh, wow, no no Texas, and they have no clue. It's a small little town. And my father served uh, at a church there. uh, And a month after I was born, uh, two little girls and their mom, who were African-American, walked up to, to our church, and they were told by a deacon at the door, this church is not for you. There's a church in town for you, and this is not it. And so in my little East Texas town, I obviously was an infant, but there was a dividing wall of hostility that this man had put up in front of the church. My dad resigned a few weeks later. Because of that incident, we moved to Houston, and thank God we're making some progress, but some of those things still exist. And what I want us to see clearly is not only did the dividing wall of hostility in the temple and in those days, not only did Christ come to demolish that, But anything that says us versus them in our lives, Christ wants to tear down. Where there were two, he wants to see one. And that's by the grace of Jesus. I uh, want us to look at verse 18, and then we'll close together. I love this verse because Paul's given us a lot here, and then he reminds us that um, it's we worship the God three in one. And I love that several times in Ephesians, he makes reference to the Trinity. And it's important for us to see this. And so verse 18, for through him, so that's through Jesus, the son, we both, 
right? We both as in Jew and Gentile. And so we can kind of fill in the blank there. Whatever your us versus them, even Aggies and Longhorns, all right? Uh, we, we both. Uh, so through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit. So through the spirit of God, we have access to the Father. Dr. John Perkins has become a friend of mine. And Dr. Perkins is one of these men that I mentioned. And uh, he marched in Selma and he uh, marched in Birmingham many times. He was a close friend of uh, Dr. King. And Dr. Perkins uh, dropped out of school at the end of third grade. Uh, he, was, he was threatened and their school was attacked in Mississippi. He grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. As you can imagine, in the... Uh, late 40s and the early 50s. This is a tough place to, to, to grow up. And uh, he fled to California. He never went back to school. He worked the fields. He never knew his mother, knew his father briefly. Had a brother who was killed uh, when he was young. But he met Jesus when he lived in California. He vowed never to go back to Mississippi. Uh, when he met Jesus in the early 60s, it became a hub of the civil rights movement. And Dr. Perkins moved back to Jackson, Mississippi. Um, And he marched peacefully, and he was a part of reconciliation. And because of his faith in Christ, he committed his life to reconciling not only man and man, but reconciling his life and others' life to God. That's what Paul is telling us in this passage. There is reconciliation here, but because of the reconciliation that happens here, there's reconciliation here, whether you're a Jew or Gentile. Dr. Perkins went back to Mississippi and said, whether you're an African-American, whether you're a Caucasian, whether you're a civil rights leader, or whether you are a Klansman, if you have reconciliation here, that's where true reconciliation here begins. And so Dr. Perkins uh, created a center for reconciliation, which is still thriving today. His grandson, we call him Big John, he's a good pal of mine, and he runs the the center there. And I came across this quote I want to read to you that Dr. Perkins said recently. He said, my deepest desire has been that the reconciling love that God displayed on the cross would spread into all the world and that somehow I could participate in that mission. And so when I think about that quote, I think about you and I think about me. And it's because of the reconciliation that we have here with Christ, that's the kind of reconciliation we have to offer for our city. That's the kind of reconciliation we have to offer to refugees in the middle of Jordan who have fled uh, war-torn Syria. There's not this kind of reconciliation between man, between Jew and Gentile, between us and them, if there's not reconciliation between God and man. And what Paul is saying very clearly in this passage, it's the love of Jesus by way of the cross that we have this reconciliation, and then it goes this way. When I was thinking about this passage, you know, I told Curtis, oh, let me say this, by the way. Dr. Perkins, he wrote a book two years ago with a, former Klansman that he met about a decade ago, and uh, they had actually had, uh, they had confronted each other and not realized it back in Mississippi in the early 60s. This Klansman came to know Christ. Dr. Perkins came to know Christ. They had this reconciliation. They became good friends, and they wrote a book together, which I would highly recommend. You can look that up. Um, And I just think, what does that, right? What kind of love does that? Where this man would say, Hey, you're my brother in Christ. Let's leave our history behind us and let's reconcile to one another. That's the love of Christ. And when I was thinking about this passage, Curtis and I have chatted some about this briefly. And I just, 
I've longed for our gatherings and our community to be uh, a representation of our city. We live in the most diverse city. I love this city. Uh, And I love the people of Houston. I love the food of Houston. Uh, I love the sports teams of Houston. I love Houston. One of the things I love about Houston is that the nations in many ways come to Houston. And we have this incredibly unique place to minister. And uh, we had had a conversation recently, and, you know, I said maybe one of our goals should be that we just long for better diversity in our church. And I think I had kind of missed it a little bit because I was hoping for this kind of reconciliation without really focusing on, on this here. And I can tell you this, this room will not represent our city until you and I are reconciled with God in a way that the powerful, transforming love of Jesus causes us to reach beyond our street, our neighborhood, and people who think like us, to quit calling people idiots and crazies if they, if they vote for somebody else politically, for somebody who disagrees on certain issues, or just maybe have some grace, to be, to be filled with love and compassion for people who walk in a different place than we do in life. That kind of reconciliation is not going to happen in this room until you and I go, there's a transforming, reconciling love that is more powerful than anything we can offer one another. So instead of my goal for us being, hey, let's be more diverse, that's not enough. That's too shallow. Let's ask God to the transforming love of the cross that we love and reach our city as a whole. And I think we'll see a difference in our gatherings. Here's two quick questions I have for you and we're done. Is any of this relevant to your life? Does any of this make any sense? Do you you read this passage and go, Seems, seems pretty good. I, I honestly have not experienced that kind of transformation within me, if I'm just honest. Maybe I'm like the Jewish people where, man, I'm right up close. I'm in church every Sunday. I feel like I'm kind of the chosen one. Honestly, I struggle with this, right? Because I, I, I devote a lot of my time, a lot of my energy to the things of the church, things of Christ, sharing the gospel. And sometimes I get a little filled with some pride and go, man, I'm right up close. I'm part of the chosen people. And I think I just become blind to the fact that without the cross, I'm as far off as anybody. And so maybe you're in the room, you go, man, I kind of feel like the Jewish people today. I'm right up close, but maybe I'm not, I'm not as close as I thought. And maybe some of you, you enter the room, just, man, I'm far off. The, The whole Gentile thing, like, you're not a part of this. You are distant. You are far off. I, you are not. I feel that in my own life. Maybe you relate to that. And again, what this passage, passage says is the love of Christ is for all. And so my challenge for you is just very simply move religion to the side. Move anything that we do out of routine to the side and just say, I want to know you. I want to know the love of Jesus. I'm a sinner and it's by way of the cross that I can be reconciled and I can be part of the reconciliation in the world. Secondly, I want you to pray, if you are a believer and you're a Christ follower, what does it look like for you and your family and our church to be part of reconciliation in our city and across the globe? I don't have all the answers for that. This passage doesn't give us five bullet points that we then are going to go tackle. What does it mean for us to reconcile? Where there was us versus them, the two have become one. What does that look like for us? I don't know, but would you, would you pray a simple prayer? God, I want to be like Dr. Perkins prayed. I want to be part of that mission. Let's pray together, and then I want you to, uh, 
if you feel led to have somebody pray over you. We got folks who, they don't have all the answers, but folks who just said, I'd love to pray for somebody if they need prayer. So whether you're in a place with your family and relationships, uh, whether there's just some darkness in your life that you want to share with somebody, whether you just go, man, I I don't want to share all the details, but I need need somebody praying for me. And maybe you're in the room and you go, man, I want to know Jesus, and I don't. I I, I hear you saying all this stuff, and I just don't know for sure. I would invite you to come forward for prayer. Let, Let me pray, and then I'll give you some instruction on how to do that. God, very simply, we ask that through the power of the Spirit, your salvation would be made clear to us today. And God, uh, for those of us who are just unsure, we're, we sense that maybe you're moving and that you're up to something, but we're just not sure if we're, if we're a follower of you. I pray that today that we would speak out loud to someone, have somebody pray with us, that we would cross over from death to life, from darkness to light. And so I pray that for brothers and sisters in the room who feel the Spirit moving. God, may we be a church that points back to this passage in Ephesians. May we not be dividers, but through the power of the Spirit, may we be uniters because of what you did on the cross for all. And so, God, may that be true for us. We worship you. We respond to you. Our prayers are pointed to you. And, God, may you move in this place as only you can. We pray this in the name.